Imhotep, The Jewel, Truck Driver, and Monopoly. This is Staying In. This is one of those beers. If you can, if you can hear it, if you can't hear this, Pete is pouring some amber nectar, some beer into a pint glass. Yes, this is um, a beer that I got in my in my craft beer box because I've become a bit of a I like beer now. I've decided. Do you? Yeah, I've decided that I quite like beer now. Because um, I always used to be like, I always used to be very, oh, like somebody would say, oh, what, do you want a pint? I'd be like, yeah. What, oh, what do you want? Lager? Mm. Like, and like, and now I'm at a point where I'm like, do you know what? Because I, I always thought that that was it. Like, I always thought lager was all tested the same and beer was all kind of the same. And and now um, I've, I've, I've started becoming a bit of a um, a fan of, of, of the beer. So I'm having an IPA today. Go on. What what notes can you smell? Hops. Tell, tell me the tasting notes. Hops. Well, we're good. Oh, uh, so one of the four. Quite a clean <laughs> smell. I'm getting that. I'm getting the smell of some some beer. Some beer, but no, a very very fruity smell. Do, do you know what I smell, Dan? Pretension. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I think um, I, I don't think enthusiasm. I don't, I don't think that's what it's called. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, and now obviously we we've done the the nose and now I have a little uh, a sippy sip. Um so mm. So I've been told uh through my research because I've been, I've done research into it. Of course I have. That the first sip is meant to be the the sort of like the wake up for the palate and the second sip and the third sip are actually when you start to really taste what the flavor actually is. So you start to taste the complexity. That definitely sounds like something a beer drinker would make up. Like, it's a, wine, those wine guys, yeah, they got it all wrong. They just do one sip and spit it out. It's really only by the fifth sip. Yeah. Yeah, you really you really don't get it until like at least a third or fourth yeah. pint and then you <laughs> yeah, really yeah, yeah. feel it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then you really understand actually what it's all about. I like the idea that like I like the idea that like camera members are all absolute drunks. <laughs> like they're just like there's like, oh I need to get at least four or five of these in to, to really taste the um I don't know, hops or something. So Pete, do you know all about the Cyclops? It's a hard left turn. This is yeah. We're now we're going into Greek antiquity. Yeah, I, I, go on. The, the Cyclops is like the three-step process of judging a beer: how it looks, okay, how it smells, yeah. and how it tastes. So why is it the Cyclops? Oh, because usually when a, some beers use the Cyclops sort of uh, technique or proponent of measurement. So on the back of a glass, it looks like a Cyclops because you've got an eye above a nose above a mouth. Oh, uh, okay. So it's known as the cyclops. Like the cyclops. Yeah. Okay. Tasting. Okay. So what it looks like? Like, is it light? Is it you know, or is it dark like a stout? What it smells like and what it tastes like. So this is a nice light one. That's the eye. That's the. First <laughs> I was going to say because you just showed your you just showed us your glass, forgetting this is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, and then I started describing it like a pro, and then um, I, I've got to admit, so I'm at the point where. I'm at the point with it. So I do I have a, a big box of beers now which was very very kindly given to me for my for my birthday. And um they are they're all really really interesting. They're all very different. And that was the the thing that I found really really fascinating about the whole thing that mm-hmm. there are lots of different kinds and they all taste very very different if you, you know, you get yourself one that's, you know, 
that's pretty good. So I found that the thing I really like is dark ales. They're the things I really like because they taste a bit like raisin, <laughs> which which I find really fascinating. Like I love it. Okay. They all taste. They taste a bit like raisins and brown sugar and you know um, a little bit um, chocolate sometimes. And ah, oh, it's it's been really fun. And like I'm sort of getting into it from like a in the same way that you might get into it in like a food way. Like like I'll have one in an evening. Like, you know, mm. every couple of evenings or something. And I'll be like, oh, I'll sit there and I'll do a thing. And and you know that this is really the driving force behind why I'm doing this. So what I do is I take a photo with my beer and I do this. So I'm taking a little photo and there we are. And then I upload it to a website called Untapped. Okay. And Untapped is like the Facebook but for beer right and so you can check in with a beer and basically say oh i've got, i've got this one and um i'm enjoying this and then it tells you like this is what you should be tasting this is how good people think it is where did you buy it this is um like add a photo and it's like the loneliest social network because i don't have any friends on it and i don't want any friends on it but it's basically just pictures of me with drinking beer with people and me figuring out like which ones I like, and there's quite a like. You know, you were talking the other day about that board game one where you constantly put in the numbers of the things that you do. A, a score pal. Yeah, a score yeah. pal. Like it feels a lot like that. In that, like it's making me really, it's making me enjoy the thing in a different way, right? So it used to be that I would like, you know, when I would drink beers, I would enjoy the feeling of getting drunk, and sometimes some of them tasted all right. Whereas now, I'm much more thinking about like, okay, well, maybe I'll go and try a, a you know, I'll go and try a, a Goes. Have you ever heard of Goes? Goes beers? They're really odd. No. They're like really sour. They're they're fermented very oddly, and they taste. I've I've had a I've had a sour beer before. I think yeah. it, I think they're roughly the same. Again, this is the sort of level that I'm at. And um, <laughs> i.e. not very very advanced. Yeah, very very advanced. <laughs> is it? It's sort of sour. But yeah, and I'm uh, so I'm enjoying it in this way because I have to actually think about what I think about the beer itself and like leave a little note for myself like oh I really enjoyed this and I liked it because I like the taste of raisins or um, mm. I liked it because it was really clean and fresh or you know something along those lines. So um, that's cool. Yeah. Sam, I have Sam, I have two questions for you. Yeah. How far away do you think Pete is from going full Willington on this? Mm. And is this the fastest he's ever gotten this far into the full Willington scale? Because this has moved very quickly from I like beer to here is all of the research I am doing and the social media <laughs> networks I am attached to. Mm, yeah. I don't think he's quite at full Willington just yet, but he's he's getting there. It's, it's certainly teetering. Um, when, when he signs up for the uh, subscription crate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of beer. Of like, no, a subscription crate of beer recipes or something like that. So not actually getting yeah, the beer. Make, no, it starts making his own. That's that's full Wellington is making The other day. Own. Oh, okay. Well, then we're dangerously close because the other day I was on Amazon. <laughs> other online... Well, no, other online retailers aren't available. And I was looking at... Like, I did type in beer crafting kit. <laughs> I was like, Don't do I was it. Like, oh, I could do this. Don't do it. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm... I went to um, a beer festival, actually, mm -hmm. the other day. Uh, I went twice in two days. Okay. On separate days. I wasn't, you know, I could say that about anything, couldn't <laughs> I? But, you know. That's how days work. I, I, <laughs> I went twice yeah. in the matter of seven days, but only on Friday and Saturday. And 
beer is becoming one of those things now in my life. I was speaking, I went with my neighbour on one of the days and we were chatting about it, and about like drinking and how, like for me now, beer is not something I drink to get me drunk. Yeah. Instead, I drink it as something to enjoy. Like it is... My, like like some people might sit down and like and like enjoy a glass of wine of an evening or enjoy a gin and tonic like for me that is that is beer so i will more so whenever i get it get any beer now i'm much more interested in spending probably about the equivalent amount of money i would have used to have spent on buying something a little bit different or a little bit interesting mm. which means i'm getting less beer but I'm doing it for the experience rather than, yeah. you know, just the the process of of drink. drinking four tins. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I'm, you know, I'm spending a couple of quid on one bottle rather than yeah. four price cut red stripes, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, because I'd much rather enjoy enjoy it, be like, oh, that was an interesting flavor and all that kind of stuff, rather than just drinking for the sake of it. I definitely see it as. I definitely see it as like yeah like food now i definitely see it as like as like if i'm out for an evening and we're going for um you know food or something like that i'll definitely look at like the beer list now and be like is this any good is this like is this stuff have i never tried this before like you know it's it, it, it's definitely part of that in the same way that i might be like oh mushroom stuffed gnocchi that sounds nice <laughs> Jesus Christ. uh so um how, how, how was your uh, how was your birthday? Happy birthday, by yeah, the way. Thank, thanks very much. Uh, I have been speaking about events related to it for the last 10 minutes and haven't been wished a, a, a happy birthday. So it's good that you're the first well, one, that's because Sam. It's good that you're the first one. Because it's not your one. birthday. Well, it's not now, uh, but... So that's so that's that's a simple reason. I don't, I'm not wishing you a happy birthday because it's not your birthday. On your birthday, I wish you a happy birthday. I'll let it pass. All right, I'll let it slide, Dan. So, um... Uh, yeah, it was it was good. It was fun. I had a, a lovely time. Uh, uh, I've uh, been decluttering as much as I possibly can. Um, uh, so uh, I I know that you all tried very uh, hard with that, and it was amazing to get the lovely uh, gifts that you got me. The little digital gifts of like of like here's a nice thing to go and buy a PlayStation game. Here's a nice thing to go and listen to an audiobook. Um, and um, that I'm I've got to admit, as I'm getting older, go on. I'm getting in. Oh God! I've just realised that I'm, I've just said. I've just. I've just used the phrase as I'm getting older. After a ten-minute chat about me saying something about beer and how I'm sort of getting into craft beer. Um, as I as I'm getting older, I'm realising that like if I want something, generally I'll just buy it like normally, and like the actual like acquisition of stuff is becoming less and less appealing. I think and. Uh, so, you know, I've talked about it, you know, it was one of my sort of New Year's things of like getting rid of as much stuff as possible and like, you know, trying to declutter a little bit. And it was really nice to, it's really nice to be able to be like, here's these bottles of chili sauce. Here are these bottles of beer. These are nice things. Here's some retro sweets. These are some nice things to, you know, consume. Here's a, you know, a fun, um, a, a switch code. You know, these are really nice things to have a really nice time with, but it's not the that constant you know my board game shelf doesn't have much space left do you know what i mean and uh oh i didn't i didn't realize that was a rule because i would have got you something else different for the birthday if the rule was it could be anything as long as it can be consumed yeah that 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 throws it wide open (laughs) i was just told i was just told 
in no uncertain terms when we were all down in Bristol that you didn't want anything physical. Yeah. But I didn't realise it could have been physical as long as you could have eaten it or drunken it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there is that. So... Because um... <laughs> you sound like you're buying an awful load of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. the difference yeah. is, is that this stuff has somewhere to yeah, go. Yeah, I managed to not get any big board games this year, but I have filled my office with crates of beer. <laughs> <laughs> crates of beer and chilli sauce. Yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, yeah. So that's what I'm. Um, that's what I've been. That's what I've been doing. It's been really nice. It's been. It's been good. I had um, a pedicure. That was my birthday treat. Lovely. Um, which is the foot one. It's where you, it's where a nice person gets your foot. The foot one gives them a little rub. Uh, didn't really know what they did down there to be honest. Um, and uh, it was really good. And I also had a full body. Uh, aromatherapy massage and i did before anybody asked i did put my head in the right hole this time round. hang on hang on hang on full there's, body there's another there's another question that needs to be asked yeah full body <laughs> so <laughs> where, so hang on now before How, now before we go down using, this this no, is no, a, okay no whoa 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 using a using a percentage figure yeah. how much was it full body? <laughs> That's going to be quite a revealing <laughs> number. Uh, well, no, no, no. Because if you say 80%, yeah. then that's all right. Okay. They're missing some stuff okay. out. Anything encroaching above like... that becomes a little bit suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 80% is the right amount, right? Yeah. So I would say, I would say like, this might just 98%. be my, my, yeah, this might just be my, <laughs> my prudishness. They didn't touch think, my eyes, everything I think, else. I think it was about like maybe 85. Like... So, for example, that the hands, and obviously nothing. This was a, a perfectly reputable establishment, but um, but and maybe this is just because I'm not used to it. But I did feel as the hands were, you know, massaging my legs and stuff like that. I did feel like they got worryingly close to butt, uh, like. Um, <laughs> so, like, and again, like not in a horrible way, but in a this is just what full body massage is. But I, uh, the, the the fascinating thing is, I, we were, I was sort of, you know, lying there trying to, you know, didn't know if I should make small talk, <laughs> didn't know if I should like, do you enjoy what you do, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. The the the, the <laughs> oh, I just I usually you're meant to just relax yeah, and not say yeah. anything. My mind like... was on fire. It was just like it was just like what should I be doing? Should I be talking? Should I be saying? Should I be saying something? I'm like oh, should I put my hands here? What if I put my hands here? Like should I like there was a oh yeah, lots of moments like that. I love that, the but... idea of like Pete there with the masseuse's hands as you say getting worryingly close and him starting to panic and in his panic as they're getting worryingly close, he's like uh, do you, do you like what you do? <laughs> <laughs> so where so where did you study where, where did you study this um so i um you know i i definitely i definitely felt uh yeah so the one bit of the one bit of discussion that we did have is she was like massaging my legs and it was the, the legs in the back happened to you know quite close within one another and then there was this uh there was this there was this moment where 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 she was just like she was just like, oh, is that, you know, is that, um, you know, is that, is that good? Is that enjoyable? Is that, you know, or is that a bit too much or something like that? I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, that's, that's good. And she said something along the lines of good because you're a bag of knots. It was just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> like, I was like, I felt I'm like I'd failed. Surprised. I was like, I, I was like, mm. uh, but yeah, it was a really interesting experience because it's very, it's a very intimate thing, but it's also a very like professional thing. 
and so it's, it has this it has this strange duality to it and obviously as for the sort of person like me if you if you really overthink about these things if you're a sort of overthinker then <laughs> it's very easy to overthink to be, to be fair i i've had a couple of massages in my time um the first time i ever had a massage i was going i was going to um I used to get my hair cut in this salon near where I worked because it was just the closest place and it was just easy. So I used to get my hair cut there. And they, they were trying to kind of do some extra stuff. And they did like, they said, we're going to do more beauty stuff and we're going to do some massages. And so if you'd booked a, a hair appointment, you got a free, I don't know, 10 minute massage, well, 10, 20 minute massage, whatever it was. Mm. So I kind of booked a hair appointment. They're like, do you want this? I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm busy right now, but yeah, sure, put it on for next time so next time I came around they were like oh you, you didn't do that massage oh, I can't I'm I'm busy sorry I can't do it next time again they kept saying and I was like fine okay I'll say okay I'll, yeah I'll do Just it then I got a bit of time <laughs> oh, so no. like, okay goodness, I'll take you upstairs so they took me upstairs to this kind of back room um, and there was this it was all as, as you say Pete all very professional um, yes. and I, I kind of walked in and there was like like the table there it wasn't a table with a with a like a hole in the middle for your face Hole in the middle. But it was yeah. a it was a masseuse's table. And the woman was there very nice. She was like, okay, if you just want to get ready. And she left the room. And I'm like, I'm not entirely sure <laughs> what kind of matter I'm getting. <laughs> so what level of undressing is required for this? Oh my god. Because I wasn't given really any detail. So I was literally and this is the, I'm literally on my lunch break at this point, okay? It's not like I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just I want to get my hair cut that's all it is I just want to get my hair cut and I'm left in this really awkward situation where I'm just sitting there in an upstairs room of this kind of salon slowly unbuttoning my shirt thinking this is very odd and then just like they're just sitting there kind of without a shirt on hoping that that's all I have to take off because I'm not prepared yeah. for anything else yeah yeah um, and, and then she kind the of came in and then she got me to lie down and it it turned out okay but very strange and it was not a particularly enjoyable experience because I was extremely tense <laughs> but yeah it's for me it's it's always that question of the what level of undress is required yeah but because it's such a weird question to ask anybody like hello stranger I've never talked to at what level of nakedness should I be like yeah it's such an odd question I mean, at least with a, with a full body, body massage, you're at least down to kind of the yeah. final question. Yeah, yeah, Kind of yeah. underwear or no like, underwear. You, yeah. you can make the decision on the rest of that. Yeah, but again, exactly. you don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, why are you naked? Uh, uh, I don't know. So I, I, I tend to leave my underwear on. So I'm like, you don't need to go there. It's fine. Yeah. I'm like, keep that stuff on. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't. No one, no one needs to see that. No. Good haircut, though. I think I've got a new entry for one of our categories of games. You know, you know how we don't really give awards out per se, but we do give certain pats on the back. Yes. For like, so we have, so me and Chris have Sam and Chris's breakfast games, and then which I guess is a sort of an award for the best games to play during breakfast mm -hmm. because it's the most and my favorite part of every day is having breakfast yeah um to my own personal detriment sometimes i like if if i'm getting up for work for a shift at 4 30 in the morning i will get up earlier to have breakfast yeah than i need to just because i want to have breakfast so yeah so we, we've got that but then we've also got the 
very unique awards category of best game to be served with a cup of tea. Yes. Very, very hotly contested topic and, and genre it of is. game. It is. Yes. We um, get many publishers get the, in touch. <laughs> of, where, of which the latest entry was Railroad Inc., I believe. Yes. But I might have a new entry. Okay. And what's interesting about this entry is that its elder cousin is actually in the awards list for best games to be uh, to be played at breakfast. Okay. Which, yeah, it's Imhotep, the jewel. Yeah, as it Imhotep, you, as, in, never... as in the, the like Mayan, Incan, that sort of... Well, Egyptian. Egyptian, all right. Egyptian yeah. thing. The, yes. the Egyptian lad. <laughs> the Egyptian thing. Have neither of you... All right, is this going to be an uphill struggle? Have neither of you played Imhotep? No, never. Heard of no. It. Okay. But, my, but I'm open... And I'm ready to receive the information. Yes. Like like you're in an upstairs room in London with your shirt off, you're open and you're ready to be... <laughs> I'm a little nervous about what's going to happen. I'm hoping I'm going to like what I hear. So I hear you're Egyptian. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going, to roll, I'm going to roll this back a little bit until I get to some sort of level of understanding of you both. Board games. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. To, to, to help you get on that path, yeah. Am I right in thinking that it's made by the same folks who do the uh, Exit games? It is. Oh. It's brought to us by our lovely friends at Cosmos, okay. and they were very, very nice to send us a copy. So thank okay. you very, very much to that's, everybody there. That's exciting. So so this is a game from Cosmos, and one of the things that Cosmos do really well is they have a line of two-player-only games okay. that they release. They have quite an extensive list of them, Kahuna... Um, Targi, Lost Cities, um, Imitate the Jewel. Uh, there's loads of them, tons. And um, when I was just getting started in the hobby, I lent on those games quite a lot to begin with. Because when it was only me and my wife... Um, <laughs> don't, don't, Pete, don't laugh. You just encourage him. The best way to get into the hobby and to carry on enjoying games was to like, really focus in on like, what are the best yeah, two-player yeah. games that we can just enjoy whenever we yeah. want. And so Lost Cities and Targi are two of our favourite games, and they're both produced by Cosmos. In fact, there's a brand new version of Lost Cities out at the moment, and I'm exceedingly tempted to get it, even though it doesn't really change much from the version I've got, but ours is so overplayed that it's becoming quite frayed at the edges. But I mustn't do that. I mustn't. Okay. Anyway, so... Imhotep the Jewel joins that impressive legacy of just two-player-only games that they produce. Um, so Imhotep the Jewel is based off the original game called Imhotep, which is one of our best breakfast games. Mm. And this is a game designed by Philip Walker Harding, who you may know also designed Baron Park. No? Okay. And Sushi Go. Big fan yes. of Sushi Go. Yes, big fan. Okay, so there we go. That that I knew it, that would be my sort of reach that, that, that level. That was your baseline attempt. Mm. <sighs> we finally got somewhere. We're finally there. Right, so you're with me. So so Imhotep Jewel is like Sushi Go. Done. Yeah, done. Moving on. Nice one. Yes, kind of, but not <laughs> really. So Imhotep, the original, was a contender for for one of the for our breakfast list, the staying in breakfast games list. Okay. Because it's a very hands-off experience. 
you doesn't take up much space on the table you're effectively just working in your own little empire to build temples and tombs and you're working on your own little thing basically um shipping these wonderful like stone cubes these wonderful wooden cubes from a quarry into your little part of egypt and using those stone cubes to build up parts of your of your uh, egyptian city basically and whoever builds the best one wins so why i was interested in imhotep the jewel was because i already found imhotep an interesting two-player game to start with so i wondered what what is actually going to be the different thing here that makes it really interesting and really basically what is the interesting thing here that means it has to be a two-player game because there's something very interesting about two-player only games and I was listening to the No Pun Included podcast and they were talking about the same subject. And Efgar on there mentioned about that it's this almost it's this level of intimacy with a board game. Because when you play a four-player game with two players, there's always something in the back of your mind that makes you think that this is a game that other people can enjoy and you can bring other people in and you're sort of just slicing off a small part of it to enjoy with one other person. Whereas when you play a game that's designed just for two players, it becomes a lot more of a condensed and intimate thing to enjoy with someone else. So you're really making time for that other person to enjoy it. Like no one, if anyone else came along, no one else would be able to enjoy this this experience because it's just between you and one other player. And I, that's what I really enjoy about two-player only games. Really, in general, is knowing that even though it is. I do have quite a lot of games in my collection that are at the exclusions of others. I also love the intimacy and the um, interplay it brings, knowing that this is a game that has just been designed for two people to enjoy and no more. So what Imhotep the Jewel does is it sort of, it riffs on that idea that Imhotep has of you're building these two Egyptian cities and in a sense, you're still building the same sort of things. You're building tombs, you're building pyramids and obelisks. So what Imhotep Jewel does, it has a central puzzle that the whole game hinges around where you and the person you're playing against are always competing for the things that you want to help your city grow. So in front of you, you've got these little um, like player boards in which you have these wonderful little like uh, player areas in which you will slot the tokens that you need. So it has this wonderful like little slotted piece of card where you can put your obelisk pieces and start building up this little like obelisk tower. And there's this other little like slotted piece of cards where you start putting in your pyramid pieces and, and you line them up like it's a pyramid. So you start with three tokens and then two tokens and then one. So you start creating this little um, like pyramid shape and this other little area where you're making and sort of... It, got these like pharaoh masks on the tokens and you're creating this like little tomb area of your of your egyptian city so it's a wonderful like thematic part to the game where what you're actually creating has a a, a real physical representation on the board which actually mimics a lot like what imhotep does where imhotep you're actually building a vertical obelisk out of these cubes and you're actually building a 3d pyramid here you're doing exactly the same thing but on a 2d thing with with tokens and that's what i always really loved about imhotep is that you would always leave the board with like this massive stack of horizontal cubes like wobbling around on the table as you measured who made the the biggest um, obelisk or someone's actually made like a little 
um, pyramid right. in the middle of the table. So it's got the same things there, but it's all doing it with these with these 2D tokens, essentially. Okay. You know what I mean? They're not 2D, but they're just flat. Yeah. So it's all about competing to get those tokens. And so in the center of the table, you have this three by three grid. So it's grid with nine spaces on it. And on two sides of that grid are ports in which there are boats docked on the ports, three on each side. And on those boats are then three spaces on which tokens selected at random will be um, set. So on one of those boats might be an obelisk piece, a pyramid piece, and a, a tomb piece, a pharaoh's mask to go in the tomb. And on your turn, what you can do is one of three things. And the most important thing is, is place a meeple down into one of those nine spaces on the square. And depending on where your meeple is, when you unload a boat, that meeple will receive a certain token from a certain ship. So if it's the meeple closest to where the, the harbour of where a particular ship is, that meeple will get the token furthest away from it. If there's another meeple behind it, that meeple will get the second one, and then the next meeple will get the next token. Okay. And then they will be divided up depending on what meeple belongs to which player, and then they'll go into their city immediately right. does that kind of make sense it does it this, this sounds quite complicated yeah it, it's it's very complicated to explain because if i was to show you the board yeah. or you were to just see a picture of it i'd be like you'd immediately grasp right, okay what it is because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a spatial puzzle okay. because essentially you've got ships moving horizontally at the board and ships moving vertically across the board in terms of tokens they're able to distribute so it could be that you've got meeples in a line ready to collect tokens from a specific boat yep. but my opponent could then say they're unloading a ship on the vertical axis which means that i'm now getting different tokens from a different meeple because they bisect at different angles okay. anyway it, it's it sounds confusing it's incredibly simple but the important thing is is that simplicity in its design mm. and that competition that it builds between you and another player is essentially the crux of the game as you're always in this race to compete for exactly the pieces that you want to mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. to finish the things that you want to build in your Egyptian city. Okay, if I was to relate it to another game, in my mind this sounds a bit like Istanbul uh, in that like you're going around, you're picking things up that you, to, to, to you're essentially getting resources to turn those different kinds of resources to turn those different kinds of resources into a, like completing objectives to score points. You're definitely picking up resources to complete certain objectives and there's definitely an effort to tactically place your meeples in positions that mean that you can secure those resources ahead of your opponent. Okay. But there is no real movement around okay. any sort of board. Okay. You, you put your meeple down into one of the nine spaces yeah. and that's it. You're you're locked in there. But the, the, the genius and the true crux of the game is... is not only thinking about what pieces you might need and what you need to focus on, but also you're always having to think about what your opponent might right, do. Okay. The crux of the game and why why it really does work as as just a two player is because you're, it's not as simple as well. If I put my meeple there and unload the ship on my next turn, I'm going to be getting that token, right. which is going to finish off that pyramid, which is going to get me X amount of points. Like on the face of it, that's what you think the puzzle okay. is. But really, the puzzle is if I put my meeple there, theoretically 
theoretically, I could get that token. But I know my opponent could do this and mean it has that effect. Or they could do right. this and have this effect. Okay. So you're always having to consider what your other opponent is doing, what they're focusing on, and what they're building. Which means it creates this wonderful peaceful competition and this is why i think it's one of these games that has to be served with a cup of tea because there's really it has these lovely moments where you just have to sit and look and take in the puzzle mm. and really think about what your move is going to do are you going to because you can unload a boat and all the tokens go to your opponent but that could be something that you do to stop them getting other tokens that they're lining up to get from other boats so there's a lot of things that you can do in that sort of vein where you can really you could be very aggressive you could be very diplomatic you can be very fair about your approach to how you play and really it's imitate the jewel is one of those games where when me and my wife were playing it it was it was not really a game where we felt particularly hmm it was we're not really very enthused about it like if we if we finished it we weren't ever like oh let's play that again or okay. it's not really one of those games that really captures that kind of excitement but that does not mean that it doesn't have a place in my collection which because i think it, it it very much does because it just seems to be a lot like imitep just have this wonderfully relaxed and gentle approach to a to a two-player game it's almost like a game of chess but just on a nine nine space grid rather than a whatever space grid it actually is i can't remember it's one of those things i probably should know but if you but but do you understand what i mean yeah. like it's it's one of those wonderful like it's almost like sharing a sudoku puzzle with right with right. someone but you're both competing to get it filled in filled in first like it's not the most exciting game i've ever played mm. but it has this wonderful place um in my collection where when the mood is just about right when we're just sitting down for the first cup of tea or we're just getting relaxed into a nice afternoon of gaming it can really be one of those games that just sets the tone absolutely right yeah. where there's not too much competition there's not really too much you know real um head scratching that needs to be done it can just be one of those wonderfully gentle and peaceful games that that can just let things start bubbling beneath the surface before you then go on to something maybe that's a bit more complicated and requires a bit more headspace so how how, how long would you say uh, a single game would take on average probably about 20 30 minutes really okay, okay I, I thought it'd be a lot longer yeah, than that no it's also a, a real firm recommendation if you're just getting into the hobby or maybe you don't have a lot of time to put to to play games the setup is preach <laughs> one of the <laughs> it's one of the easy setups for a board game i've ever played like it is just literally just like putting down things onto a table and everything's just put down and that's it it's mm. all done it has a, and this is another great thing that cosmos is just brilliant at it comes in a box which is perfectly sized yes. for all the things that it needs to contain Love that. like it just slips onto a bookshelf and it doesn't take up any space at all it's it is a remarkable little thing and i do enjoy that it is that it is a game just for two players because it really does as you said dan it really can just set the pace and it just like fits a little you know when you're sitting down it's just like well we've just got half an hour and i don't really like want to start playing this yeah. i don't really yeah. want to start setting up that it, it just like well if we play imitate the jewel i know it's only going to take five minutes to set up i know we're going to have a great time playing it and it's going to be an interesting distraction yeah. um for that amount of time How's life on the open road, oh, Pete? I feel 
so close to you, Dan, uh, because uh, you know you were talking. It's changeable, about, but it's fine. You, about so you know you were talking about you didn't have you don't really have that much time, right? And like so your your free time is 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 you know relatively meager because you've got all these other things that you definitely have to do, like like look after another sentient being. So you know you you need to take these things away and and do those things. Well. I, I also find that I don't have quite enough time in, in the day. And I have been relatively busy recently um, with a lot of different things. And one of the things I really, really enjoy is audiobooks. And I've talked about it before, but I really enjoy them. And I want to, you know, I want to enjoy them as much as I possibly can. And unfortunately, I definitely have that thing where I can't listen to audiobooks and write at the same time. So one of my other free time things that I like doing is writing uh, and, and, you know, being creative in that way. Because that's really the only way I can be creative. I've been, I've been doing that. And one of the things that video games often do, most video games that I like, they'll have, they'll have, like, they'll have quite an engaging story. Um, they'll have music that I really want to listen to that really builds into what the world actually is. And uh, they will have very, very intense play uh, or, or, or systems that you really have to be focused on and you can't really be listening to uh, an audiobook while you do that. Um, so I also have this separate interest as a video game developer in looking at weird releases. And we talked a little bit about it, I think, um, when uh, I talked about Dangerous Driving, which was that I found that really fascinating from a release perspective. And the game Truck Driver, which is on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and is coming to PC very soon, um, is also one of these weird releases. And I think there's a... a So so this is a truck driver simulator. This is just... It is a trucking simulator. Yes, it's called Truck Driver... It is not related, before, yeah. before you ask, to the, the very famous Euro Truck Simulator series. It's not related to that. That's the one I'm um, thinking of, yeah. So um, it is from a company called Triangle Studios and uh, another com- a publisher called Sodesco. And that's also a bit weird, and we'll talk about that in a second. But there's the, the whole thing is a bit weird from a release perspective, and I always find these things really interesting. Um, so the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions, they're out. Uh, they came out about two or three weeks ago. And... Um, and um, no one's reviewed them. No one. As of recording, there are no Metacritic scores for this game. And Metacritic scores are, you know, for, for a game that gets a physical release, you'll usually get them, right? Um, because yeah. big outlets that like to review games, they will go and find all these games, they'll review them, they'll have a big meta score on there, uh, and you'll, you'll know roughly how good that game actually is. This game has zero Metacritic score reviews, which means it either hasn't been of any interest to, to traditional outlets like your Eurogamers and your, your Nintendo Lifes and your The Sixth Axis's, or it simply hasn't been sent to them yet. And I don't know which one is the case. It came out on PS4 and Xbox One before the PC version. The PC version is actually coming out a month after the console versions, and that's very rare. Like, usually it's like PC first, okay, we'll get all the bugs fixed, now the console versions. Well, un- unless you're Rockstar. Unless you're, unless you're Rockstar, unless you're very specifically aiming to do these sorts of things. And usually that's because there's some sort of deal in place. Um, so, like, Sony and Microsoft, they'll give enhanced coverage to big Rockstar games. Uh, and and so on. So, so a bit of a weird release in that way. It sort of entered early access vaguely. 
um, or it's sort of sort of being seen as an early access release on on consoles. It's also a simulator. There aren't actually that many simulators on consoles. Certainly not that many simulators to do with vehicles specifically. So you do get car mechanic simulator. You do get stuff like Surgeon Sim, uh, which is on the opposite spectrum for the simulation games but not many vehicle games and there and certainly euro truck simulator which you would have thought would have like rolled out on on consoles by now that's not out either so a bit of a weird release in that way also weird thing um i was following this when we were doing uh, one of our games at work because we were just about to do a beta and they were just finishing theirs and they finished their beta and they basically announced in this video like yeah we're gonna with thanks for all your feedback we're gonna redo all the environments like, we've got like six months to go, but all right, see you in six months, um, my family. Um, so, like, yeah. And I was like, wow, that is astonishing, because when we were doing our game, I was like, oh, that doesn't happen to us. So, so that was fascinating. But that studio, Triangle Studios, they're no longer going to be involved in the project. The game is actually now, now that they've shipped it, once they've shipped it on console and PC... Um, they're now pushing it over to a Brazilian developer who did the one of the latest Gears of War. They've done um, like a bunch of stuff with like a load of really big high-end AAA console games, and they're going to be adding content. They're going to be expanding the game out. And most of these games that are simulations, you know, they either build out on DLC or they'll actually build the actual simulation out a bit more. So there's tons of really interesting stuff that's going on for, with it from that perspective. But also. I just wanted to listen to audiobooks. Sam. I just wanted to I just wanted to listen to audiobooks and this is the perfect game for that. So take us through so take us through the the gameplay. Okay. You you're putting in you're putting in truck driver <laughs> yeah, into the into the, the system game, and in it goes. So this isn't is it still a simulation or is it does it feel a lot more arcadey? Yeah, so it it is. So it's definitely a simulation of being of driving trucks rather than specifically being a driver of trucks i.e you are not simulating the life of an individual you are simulating the actual act of driving uh, which i think so yeah what so what are the kind of things that you're monitoring like okay so i'm monitoring fuel i'm monitoring the sleep my sleep so i do have to monitor that wear and tear on the tires the engine the body of the truck I'm upgrading yeah. my truck. Yeah, good. I'm, you know, adding different stats in and stuff like, like you know, upgrading the engine so I get a, a slightly better, uh, you know, ho- like uh, engine power. I don't know, horsepower maybe. I don't know. Go on. Um, Great. Yeah. So I do. I'm doing all of that stuff. And my first thing, the first thing that you're told is choose a character. So you get to choose one of three different characters. And I was like, oh, okay, because I was thinking this might be more about the driver. So you pick that thing, and then. There, there starts a very small amount of storytelling. They're actually trying to do some storytelling stuff here, where they're, you're on your phone texting this person who gives you the jobs. And um, there's, there's about, uh, so I think there's six different um, quest givers. And you start off working for a guy called um, something Dover. I can't remember his name, something Dover. Um, and he does fish. So you, you're giving these, these missions. And the missions are take your truck, and hook up to a um, a trailer and drag it to the it, the location that it needs to be. And it's all set. It's an open world, so it's set on this one island. We'll talk about that in a, the island because the island is amazing, um, and I think it's one of the best things in the game itself. Um, and you go from point to point, 
and you deliver your cargo and then you go back and then you you check in and you get your money and you get your experience points and you use your experience points to upgrade so that you get these passive bonuses so that you can earn more experience or you can get more money or you can get better wearing engine parts or whatever it is and this small story well well defined well scoped out little story uh progresses and this is what i was expecting more of in the game it is set on this tiny little island and it is just you doing this trucking basically and i thought that what and and the the sort of fantasy is that you're you're essentially this is essentially stardew valley truck simulation right you essentially have the business that is the one trucking business in this space and you are helping out all of the island folks that they can help with their businesses. They give you money, they earn money themselves, and you sort of become a pillar of the community, progressing this very light story forward. Uh, again, very much like Stardew Valley. And again, the, the similarities with Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley, I listened to a lot of audiobooks when I played that. It's very repetitive. So this, there's the simulation itself is you can bang in a steering wheel if you want to, um, but obviously I don't have anything like that. So, um, but you're driving a truck and you obviously have to deal with all of the things that you would normally deal with, uh, like acceleration and braking and, and stuff like that. You can also have manual drive vehicles. Do you have to stick to speed limits? So, sort of. And this is where the simulation starts to fall over. The rules of the, the island. Rules of the island. So there are, yeah, there are speed, there are speed uh, cameras. And if you're caught speeding, you'll get a fine. And it's quite a hefty fine uh, in relation to the amount of money that you'll actually earn. Um, if you run a red light, you will um, probably get fined as well. But the rules of the road don't really stretch much beyond that. So obviously, you need to stay on the right-hand side of the road. So this is set in sort of like a European... Scand feels like a, either a, a, a sort of Scandinavian small fishing island kind of thing. It kind of feels a bit like that. So you, you have to stick on the right-hand side of the road, otherwise you're going to career into stuff. But if you're, you know, it, there's very little penalty for uh, overtaking somebody on the opposite side of the road around a blind corner at night. Like, there's very little penalty for that. <laughs> What's the penalty if you crash? Nothing. Like, y you might damage your vehicle. There's no cosmetic damage whatsoever. It's only damage to the performance of the vehicle. And even then, the actual, like, performance of the vehicle doesn't suffer that greatly. So there's very little penalty, either through actual, like, law sort of penalties or you mess this but up. Is, but is that the the fault of the game or is or is that the... Or is that the designers just assuming that you're buying this game to stick to the yeah. laws of the road so you wouldn't do Absolutely. that anyway? So why put in Absolutely. a charge for killing and a family And that's of what I do. I role play being a good driver, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. you really do have to role play, like, because if not, like, the game isn't going to do it for you. The other vehicles on the road are pretty smart, although at times, like, so for example, when there's a... Um, when there's a motorway and there's like another bit of motorway and they're joining together okay yeah slip, slip road, yeah, yeah something like that um they will they won't see a massive hgv and be like i know i'll break <laughs> they'll they'll just be like i'll pull out in front of this thing and maybe that's realistic i don't know but but is, they yeah. but they are very much you know um that hell for leather some of the some of the cars um so it's not the smartest vehicle like mod, a vehicle driving model in that way for those vehicles for the truck itself they definitely feel really heavy and weighty and it's really fun to drive them and have a you know bloody great big trailer hanging out the back and trying not to smash into things and the but again the the 
the the simulation again seems to fall down when you get to things like so there are pedestrians but clearly they wanted to keep their low age rating so as soon as you get anywhere near a pedestrian like literally driving past it on the road they'll fade away because obviously they don't want you <laughs> they don't want you to hit, go into them at all right so yeah. so so that's like um do you remember driver yeah when they would like jump out the way station the, the moment you get close to a pedestrian, they'd, they'd like, like jump out of the way in dramatic style. So like, so so they just fade away. Um, there are weird little bugs and stuff uh, here and there, and I think the community, because I've been following it as much as I can, the community has noticed that there's quite a lot of bugs. So for example, like occasionally you'll be driving along, and the car in front of you will just vanish, like it will just go. Um, but that doesn't sound like a bug. That sounds like a sweet. Well, relief. it sounds like it <laughs> sounds like, like this God. island is actually filled with ghosts. Like, like, <laughs> honestly, and and so so the simulation of the actual vehicle itself is is pretty good, but they can they can certainly do better. Um, it's not as deep as Euro Truck Simulator. I mean, you do have to do things like there are emergency lights. You do like you should indicate. Um, there are you know you have to turn the engine on and off, like just little simple things like that. Um, can you can you customize your you cap? You can customize the outside, yes, to a limited degree. Oh right. Wait. Okay, but you can't like hang a massive light no, in the you middle can't. of it that says something like Big Peter. No. So roof. again, it's really really low okay. scoped. And in fact, actually, the the trucks themselves are wildly wildly disappointing. So from what I'm from what I'm hearing, it sounds like we need to introduce the third uh, award award criteria mm. for our podcast so we've got staying in's best breakfast games staying in's best games to have tea with a cup of tea and now staying in's games to read yes games to read to because that is what i'm doing yeah because i've got my yeah because stargy valley is like yeah when i play it i listen to the count of monte right and it's that the thing that i love about stargy valley is the thing that i love about truck driver and that is yeah. An easy task. It's repetitious. I know exactly what I'm doing and I feel like I'm making incremental progress through the game, right? And I'm building my myself out in this game. But yeah, it's been this game that I have found fascinating from a release perspective. Found fascinating from a from a, a like just a well-scoped game like good enjoyable like good six out of ten six you know enjoyable six out of ten kind of a game i just want to deliver parcels to ghosts in my truck while i'm listening to northanger abbey listen to question time so we get these in from twitter at staying in pod facebook at search staying in pod uh and uh staying in pod at gmail.com which you can find on stayinginpodcast.com. This one is from Catherine Hopkins at Callon underscore Lan. Um, hello, hello, hello. And Catherine very kindly asks us a question, but it's a it's a it's a tricky one. If you could delete one of the quote old family classic end quote board games, i.e., Jenga, Monopoly, Cluedo, etc., which one would you remove yeah. from history? But consider. What are the implications of this? And what might never have been made today if that game never existed? So, old classics. Good ones here. Jenga, Monopoly, Cluedo. I think I'd also include things like Snakes and Ladders, Mousetrap. Yeah. Scribble, Scramble. 
Noel's house the, party. Noel's house party. Uh, the game of life. <laughs> game of life. The that one where that one where the surgeon sim guys took the idea and made it into a video game. Operation Ludo. Yeah. So the classics. I think anything that you might find in a slightly rundown, um, like holiday home in Winchelsea, like Risk. Yeah. Oh man, Risk. Um, which one would you remove? And what do you think the consequences of, of that would be? So for me... Monopoly. Really? Monopoly. No. Monopoly. Out of the window. No, the Monopoly. repercussions of losing Monopoly would be felt. Um, I think you could you would destroy the British economy by removing Monopoly. No. Yeah, that, no. that American-owned re- game. I think the repercussions of removing Monopoly are nothing but good. But, okay, to counter that, yeah. Monopoly is yeah. a game that everyone knows how to play it's also the one board game that most people have played and i think it's kind of an yeah but and 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 it's for that exact reason why it should go because it gives everyone such a false impression of what board games are it's that three hour boring trudge where one person dominates and no one has any fun also it was a stolen idea and also it has spawned a lot of games from it that uh, show what's bad about board games and Monopoly perpetuates this idea of the worst, like Monopoly for Millennials and Capita- and Communist Monopoly, which was just yeah. the worst thing that's ever been made, and like Star Wars Monopoly. And so the best thing Monopoly's ever done is given The Simpsons one of their best jokes where it was Edna Crawfopoly. <laughs> that was it. Okay. No one can convince me that Monopoly is ever okay. a good idea, and the absence of it is nothing okay, but well, a good thing for board games. I mean, I I would disagree with that, um, but there's no Go point in me disagreeing because Sam's or, or, has already closed his ears why? to I, the I, argument. I've, 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 no, 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 I'm not. I'm not close my ears. Go on. Why? Why would Monopoly be a good Go thing? On, I can give you. Go on, I'm. 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 I'm coming at it from a personal point of view. I've got many fun memories of of work. Of playing with Monopoly, but to go back to my obviously uh, facetious comment that it would destroy the world's economy, um, I would argue that there is elements of Monopoly that have perpetuated the idea of areas of London perhaps being more uh, wealthy than they would have otherwise have been. If you, if I ask you, is Park Lane or Mayfair a wealthy area? You automatically think yes, it is. And why do you think that? Because it's in Monopoly. If it's not, then perhaps Mayfair Park Lane, they're not as well, they're not as well to do as, as they might have been. Nobody, nobody ever wants to live in real life on Old Kent Road. Why would you? Because we all know it's a bit of a dive. Is that a, is that a, bad, is that a bad area of Monopoly? Old Kent Road, yeah. That's the cheapest area of Monopoly. But surely that's, so surely for like every area of Monopoly is supposedly given favour to and gentrified, that it's doing the same to all the cheap, poor areas. So Monopoly is actually like trodden I'm down. Not, wait, wait, wait. I'm not suggesting it's a good thing that it's making Mayfair rich. I'm not saying it's a good thing that it's making Old Ken Road poor. What I'm saying is it's perpetuated the economy of those areas. So by removing Monopoly, you are throwing that all up in the air. Yeah, and producing a level playing field on which, in which people can... Um, succeed and fail on their own steam rather than something that's stupid i'm increasingly liking sam's argument here i think this is a pretty good one um exactly monopoly was originally designed to be an Mm anti-capitalist game and it was designed to show how capitalism is a bad thing Mm -hmm. and um it's promoted fairness and equality then it was stolen the idea was stolen from a woman by men 
and produced and developed by Hasbro and and even now they've not even recognized the the act of they didn't even like apply or steal they just stole the whole game wholesale and then just started making it yeah and like it is just a game mired in disgusting horrible practices like from ground from the ground up, it just is a terrible it's game. Catherine, Catherine, and what have you done? Catherine Catherine has absolutely caused it. He's Sam's crying. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, well, we can get rid of that one. What, Dan? What? Which one would you get rid of? Now, see, mine is again. It's a personal decision, mainly because I'm not very good at it, and it has the potential to make people feel stupid. Mm. Twister. No. I loved Twister because that's part of the fun of that. Yeah. Um, and the game that I want to get rid of controversial choice would be Scrabble because I'm not great at Scrabble when under right. pressure I don't come up with good words and so I feel mm. stupid and it's not an experience I enjoy I've never had an experience with Scrabble that I've enjoyed oh. I do I do agree with yeah. you on Scrabble because, but not because it makes you feel well I think that Scrabble makes you feel depending on who you play it can make you feel stupid for all the wrong reasons because if you're really playing scrabble it's just players win because they know the most obscure two-letter words and it's just like oh yeah qi is a word it's like or zp is a word so it's not like anyone really beats you because they know they've got a great extensive vocabulary it's just like they've learned all those little two-letter words that can get you out of a that can get you out of a bind. And it's just like, yeah, oh, it's yeah. just cheap. Even though one of my fondest memories of playing Scrabble, and uh, my wife and I played Scrabble a lot when we were first um, courting, <laughs> as it were. Like we played Scrabble yeah. over the phone. The 1850s. And, like, yeah, just go on. chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Scrabble. But this is this. This is before we. This is before we uh, found Bananagrams, which is you know scrabble but everyone's on the same level of intelligence like actually respects your intelligence bananagrams it's a really good yeah, game i like i see bananagrams but is happy we went, let's replace scrabble with that yeah yeah and we have we, we went to um we went to this pub and lisa's like oh you always take me somewhere i'm gonna drive you to a pub i'm gonna have a nice, lovely nice dinner and we can sit outside and play play some scrabble and just chill out it's like brilliant so we drove up to this pub and it was called like the owl inn right next to this um uh, canal canal side lovely picturesque part of cheshire wonderful walked in there was a wake and we were like oh oh uh, oh and we just, he we slowly like, sat down and set up the scrabble board yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> just we'll go and eat out we'll go and eat outside yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. just slowly Sorry. slowly putting you know letters onto the board e M B A R. Um, so, uh, I think I would choose. I think for similar reasons about like board games being misunderstood for what they are. I think I would probably choose like snakes and ladders because. Yeah, but but no. If you get rid of snakes and ladders, you get rid of a whole like litany of metaphors. And allegories about. I'm all right like, with that, like because, like, <laughs> I, d- I don't necessarily think that they're they're always useful. So I mean, like, like I think snakes and ladders is like again in terms of the misunderstandings about what what games actually are. There's zero skill in snakes and ladders. Like it's literally all luck. Like it is just rolling a dice. Like, and I I kind of feel like. A lot of people have played Snakes and Ladders simply because it's such an easy game. 
uh, that you know children of like four or five can comprehend it. Um, and I think that it also gives this bad name to what board games actually are, in that it really focuses the mind on at such an early age on like luck, on like you don't really need to think about board games. They're not really going to teach you anything. They're just a thing to pass the time. There's no sort of engaging with what the, like there isn't a snakes and ladders meta. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a but but surely snakes and ladders has a point in sort of board games because especially like when Dan's little one starts to get older and needs to like start understanding things like numeracy and consequences yeah, yeah. and like actually mechanics of like if Dan sits him down and explains to him tries to explain to Toby about how randomness in a board game isn't really mm. interesting and here's how to play Agricola like it's not going to go in but if it's just like right to a child mm. snakes and ladders is a wonderful eye-opening concept i think to the world of board games like you roll a dice right and if you get a three you're going to go up on this ladder and you're going to shoot up all the way mm. to 13 but you've got to mi- tro- the, the elation that you get from that yeah and and then the and then the opposite emotion of just like oh no i've hit a snake and when you're a child you don't put two and two together. You don't realise it's a random... You put all your faith into like, right, I'm going to roll a four. I'm going to roll a four. Like, it's, it's, that, it's that base instinct of, of thinking... Of, it's, that, it's that thing that you have, that innate sort of superstition that we all have as, have as, as humans, that we can somehow affect this random roll of a dice. And on a base level, that is still what I look for in, in board games. Like that's still that that like in Quacks of Quedlingburg, it's the same thing. It's but more of the agency is put into my into my hands. Yeah. Sort of like well, with probability and risk, I can sort of put the odds in my favour. But essentially, all I'm doing is still playing but snakes and ladders. There's more of a finesse to games. Like I feel like snakes and ladders is badly designed in so much as like you can ver- you can be in a, a, a loop infinitely right like the 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 joy of going up that ladder is almost immediately reduced by immediately going back down a snake and like you could just end up in this perpetual bad luck cycle where you just never finish the game right and there's no real the only success is all building towards the end the a much better game that i think I, I, again, I don't think it's a good game, but I think it's a better designed game than Snakes and Ladders, would be Mousetrap, right? Because you get to, oh, you've rolled the dice. You get to add a thing onto the onto the playboard and that you're constantly building this thing and put, your mind is relating your dice rolls to both luck and to building this, this contraption up. And you do then get the payoff, and everyone gets the payoff. Everyone gets. No one really cares who wins Mousetrap, but everyone do does love like winding up the crank and seeing this, you know, this uh, Rube Goldberg uh, machine actually work at the end of all of it. And I think that that's a much more, even though it is like a lot more gimmicky. I think that it's a more enjoyable way of, you know, it's a more enjoyable first move into playing board games. I think it's a a, a, a a much nicer way of doing it than than a game that is a bit sort of just naff. But I think if you if you I think if you took snakes and ladders out, I think even though it is basic and you can get trapped in loops and it's not great, I think there's the potential there for other designers to not have not be able to look upon a situation and go, hang on, what's the fun here? 
if it's not in the randomness of rolling dice, then it's that sense of, as Dan was saying, it's that sense of false achievement when you hit a ladder sure. and it's that sense of self-punishment when you go down a snake. So I would argue that if you get rid of snakes and ladders from the annals of board gaming history, you lose that one designer who looks upon it and goes, huh, if only I could enhance that part of snakes mm. and ladders, then I'd be able to actually make a more interesting game and, and, and take mm. it on from that. That was Staying In with Daniel Frost, Sam Turner and Peter Willington. Many thanks to Cosmos again for providing us with a copy of Imhotep the Jewel. I played it with Sam last weekend and can confirm that it has managed to capture the essence of the original in a beautiful breakfast format. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to leave a review too, we'd be really chuffed to bits. Keen to dig a little further? Why not head over to stayinginpodcast.com? On it you'll find our page on Board Game Geek, our Steam Curation page, and all the different ways you can follow us. At Staying In Pod is where you need to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, for those of you who want to get fit and do so for a good cause, come and join our team. Just head to your app store and download Charity Miles for your mobile telephone. And look for us in the app at hashtag StayingInPod. That's all one word, hashtag StayingInPod. Thanks for listening.